The UK's departure from Europe means that the ways in which lots of things get done are changing, including how the public sector spends £300 billion a year buying goods, works and services. The procurement bill represents a massive lever for government to be more transparent and accountable in how that money is spent, encouraging innovation and social enterprise, and the use of many more small businesses in the delivery of public services. I'm Martin Gregg, and as the bill works its way through the parliamentary process, I've been speaking to Lindsay Maguire. Lindsay is Deputy Director for Procurement Reform at the UK's Cabinet Office, and I asked her to explain the background to the bill. We've been pretty clear that this is one of the first major Brexit legislation opportunities. Um, so following the uh, vote in 2016, the policy team within Cabinet Office who developed the, the sort of commercial policy were given the task of looking at how the regulations that we use for public procurement could benefit from new flexibility. And so this has really been a, a project in place since the early part of 2017, I would say. And one of the things that we did during 2018 and 2019, obviously, we were slightly hampered by COVID for the year after, is gather together a lot of experts from around the procurement world, from different countries who had gone through similar processes and actually developed that policy with them. So that procurement transformation panel basically set out all of the different things that we could look at in order to tackle real life barriers that they faced in procurement and they knew about in terms of their, you know, academic careers. So we had a whole range of experts and that was the start of what then became the the kind of procurement bill legislation itself. Is it a bit like when you see a swan gracefully skimming over the top of the water and underneath there's kind of frantic paddling going on? Is that what's going on behind the scenes? There's an awful lot of work and actually we only ever see the the output of it once this piece of work becomes legislation. Yes, ultimately, yes. So if you think about the procurement bill itself, it's... It is streamlined in terms of what it was previously, but it's still 120 clauses, I think. And for each one of those clauses, there would have been a number of iterations with the Office of Parliamentary Council. Comparing each one of those across the bill as a whole is obviously a huge task. And when you have a number of policy people and a number of lawyers working on that bill coming together makes it a real collaborative effort because if you change one bit in clause one you need to make sure it's not changing it throughout the rest of the, the bill so I think that's a really good analogy um, and the amount of obviously cross-government sign-off and buy-in and checking against other bits of legislation checking against other policy areas um, is enormous so the public uh, presentation of what we've put out there is is only really kind of a, a, a very small bit of the actual work and the collaboration that's gone into this. And in those presentations, Lindsay, you've called this a, a once-in-a-generation opportunity to to change the way in which public procurements are done. I mean, it is a, a big change, but just give us a sense of how it's going to be different. So the main difference for me is um, we're introducing a lot more flexibility. So where you have quite rigid procedures at the moment we're going to be having a new way of allowing procurement teams to actually design their own procedures for what meets the marketplace so in my mind it's a lot more commercially driven and you can take into account things like market dynamics you know the, the price tensions in the marketplace negotiation etc but that's not going to be appropriate in every single instance so i think one of the concerns that people have at the moment is that we are 
breaking everything and everything's going to be completely flexible and every single procurement is going to be started from scratch. In reality, that's not going to be the case because you wouldn't need to design a, a brand new procurement if you're buying something that's very transactional off the shelf. So, uh, you know, an individual school wouldn't need to design their own procurement to buy textbooks because it's it's very sort of transactional. But what we want to do is focus on the really kind of complex bit, but also put in place systems which will help it easier uh, in, in other places such as frameworks and other ways of purchasing. So I think that flexibility is going to be the change and also how we reflect that into the standing operating procedures, I think will be um, a challenge, but there's huge opportunity there. And cabin office is committed to making sure that there's support available to support contracting authorities and suppliers um, in that change. You've also talked about a step change in transparency. What is it that will change specifically? What will we know in the future that potentially we haven't known in the past? And, and who will benefit from that? Absolutely. So um, we are committed to that step change in transparency. It's a big part of what we're doing. It goes throughout the whole of the life cycle. So whereas now we need to publish you know, what we're, what we're awarding, contract awards, supplier details, it will start right at the very beginning. So if you have a, a, a you know an idea in your procurement pipeline, contracting authorities above a certain size will need to publish that. So that gives the market visibility of what's coming in 18 months time. That's not for all procurements, but it's for the, the bigger procurements that need that extra planning. And what that means is that small businesses will have a chance to look at the requirement, form consortia, potentially find delivery partners, allocate resources to bid, which is a which is a huge issue at the moment. You know, we want to kind of level the the playing field with that pipeline so that it doesn't naturally fall to your kind of larger prime suppliers. And then in the contract end, we always get quite a lot of criticism that we let all these contracts, but how do we know if they're working? What do we know is going well? Our suppliers performing. So we'll have a, a mandatory requirement to publish some key performance indicators, only a few of them, but under the actual contracts itself, so that ourselves as taxpayers can actually go into the system and see how some of these major contracts are working and what suppliers are being measured on. So this is a way of improving performance across the piece, but also, you know, holding ourselves to account a bit as as customers to make sure that we are actually receiving and managing the contract in a way that we we should be. And in terms of those KPIs, are you going to be prescriptive about what they are or will they be specific to each individual procurement? They'll be specific to each individual procurement. Um, I think what we'll do, although this isn't definite yet, but I think what we'll do is when we do the training, we'll do a number of examples. Central government already does do this. So on its major contracts, the MOJ, for example, will publish their, their three KPIs. And general good practice in my view and this isn't government policy would be to include two clear deliverables on you know performance of the contract but also potentially a, a deliverable on social value so if you have a a social value metric within your tender people are really interested on in how that's being delivered so there are opportunities to to do that but we are not going to be prescriptive on what types of kpis it, it very much depends on what the contract and um, how the contract is designed We'll talk about social value in a second, but still the transparency fundamental to this is going to be this new digital platform. How is that going to work? I mean, it's a great opportunity, but potentially a pitfall, an opportunity to design a system that is new and allows for this transparency. But as we know, IT systems are fraught with issues. 
So the good news is, is that the bulk of it is not going to be new. We are building on Find a Tender Service. So Find a Tender Service is our current system, which we publish everything to all the contract awards. And what we're doing is we're building that out. So there will be a number of new mandatory notices throughout the life cycle. And each one of those will be built on to Find a Tender. The really good thing is that if we start very early on a pipeline, you'll be given an indicator and like a, you know, a number for your procurement, and then you can follow it all the way through. So it becomes a lot more automated. It's part of the challenge of find a tender at the moment is you have to repeat everything over again. So it's a bit annoying in terms of the admin. So if you've got one identifier for your procurement, you can follow all of that through. There is also another platform, which will be the, your supplier focused platform, um, which will be a register of suppliers where the suppliers can sign up for an identifier and that will hold their information and then those two bits will come together when you're actually doing procurements in the system so there will be a challenge over systems integration and how the different platform and the register of suppliers work with e-senders for example um, but that's what we're working through at the moment and we have a, a bit of time um, until you go live to to kind of figure that out so let's go back to social value Historically, there are a number of organizations that have been put off being involved in the in the whole procurement system. It's difficult, it's complex, it's expensive. Part of this process is trying to encourage more small businesses, social enterprises to, to get involved. What specifics are you building into this process to allow that to happen? So I've mentioned a couple. So the pipelines, that's really important because it gives you visibility. Um, the new system... Our register supplier system will save a lot of time when it comes to providing the same information over and over again. And lots of uh, smaller suppliers are put off by that. So if they have five bids, you have to sign up to five different systems. So we're aiming to streamline that. There are other measures which are specifically aimed at small businesses. So for the first time ever, we'll, we'll have a duty in legislation that says contracting authorities need to consider the barriers that they're potentially putting up in their procurements and remove them where appropriate. So they will be required to demonstrate why a procurement is not friendly for small businesses for example obviously we need to be realistic in this there's always going to be contracts and programs which aren't going to be suitable for small businesses just by the nature of some of the things that we buy but the duty is essentially about reminding contracting authorities that they should be proportionate in what they're doing we've also included a number of um mechanisms around prompt payment so prompt payment is a huge issue for small businesses especially at the moment where cash flows are, are important so we have 30 day terms um mandated but also through the supply chain and that's an implied term so if you are a small business and if you are working in a public sector supply chain you should be benefiting from that 30 day payment no questions one of the things that SMEs bring to the process is things like innovation, for example. Procuring for innovation is quite difficult because it involves quite a lot of judgment. But you've talked about negotiation and being allowed to bring in greater judgment into the process. So are we hopefully going to be in a position whereby that innovation that SMEs can bring is going to be an easier thing to do, that the whole process will not be as subject to challenge down the line as perhaps it might have been historically yes i think so so i mean the first thing to say about procuring for innovation is a lot of the time the barriers don't come from procurement itself the barriers come from 
funding, policy decisions, um, design decisions. So we need our policy colleagues and our budget holders to involve procurement teams really early on in the life cycle. Because if we can get involved in the life cycle, it means that we can actually work with the market to drive that innovation. If we're just given a completed specification, then the flexibility of, of working with the marketplace on that is actually quite limited. But I do think that the flexibility that we've embedded will allow procurement teams to do things like down select based on you know product demonstrations site visits you know if you've got something which is a completely brand new technology and you you want to judge expertise you can look at the people who are going to be involved in the R&D you can fund those programs um, and then you will have a space for negotiation um, and that does mean that we should be able to take into account innovative ideas from suppliers, including smaller suppliers that may not have been in the original specification. We will be reliant on the marketplace coming with us. So it's a great question you ask about the the challenges. You know, one of the things that people um, are really asking at the moment is, do you think challenges will go up or go down? I want them to go down. And actually I want the new transparency process and the mechanisms that we're putting in place to demonstrate how effective we are procuring but it also is going to require suppliers not to raise those furious challenges every single time they may lose a bid so for all of the the challenge over why suppliers kind of raise so many challenges it's like i think industry actually has a, a part to play in this by stop challenging every single thing um and, and give us space to actually do that procurement so we will see on that one we will see but I am looking forward to working with, you know, some suppliers and actually some customers in designing some model scenarios around this innovation piece. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to take this moment to do that. And is there an opportunity for the legislation to be prescriptive about the amount of social enterprise that, that is brought into the procurement process or the, or the number? I mean, there have been quotas in the past around the number of SME contracts and all this, that and the other, but is it prescriptive? It's not prescriptive. So the, the kind of core principle of public procurement is that it's fair and open. So if you start narrowing down major procurements, you're obviously restricting your fair and open non-discrimination points. But for smaller contracts, for example, so for, for anything that's below um, threshold, there will be the ability to reserve contracts for small businesses and so and or social enterprises. So there will be a huge opportunity to work with local small businesses and local social enterprises, especially in some areas such as welfare to work or you know, local kind of uh, wraparound support for local authorities in giving those contracts. And that does make sense at that level. There's an awful lot to take in, isn't there, Lindsay? This is this is a huge piece of legislation. What should people be doing now to get up to speed with these changes so that they are in a position in six, 12 months' time to actually go with all of these changes? I think the first thing would be to engage with the change. So find out what's coming up. We've published a whole raft of information um, on our gov.uk page. We are running regular webinars. So I would say the more that you can sign up to that, the better. We've got a stakeholder update, which we do every month, which lets everyone know where we are, but also engaging with the bill. Like I know for a lot of people, it might seem a bit overwhelming, but actually the, the whole point is that we've written it in a way that should be 
relatively easy to to read. I mean, I'm not a legal person at all, and I've always shied away from those sort of really in-depth legal conversations, but it's reasonably okay to read. So spend the time getting to know what's coming in the legislation. We're also saying that now's a, a good opportunity to consider your organizational capacity, the depth and the breadth, um, but also things like who you would like to go on the training. So we are going to be having some funded training, um, but it's important that you think carefully about who goes on that training and at one point. So if you have five categories of spend, for example, and you know one of them has got a really, you know, uh, loaded pipeline for kind of early 24, then it probably makes sense to prioritize your resources. We will be operating two regimes for a little while. So it's a good opportunity to to look at contract registers, your governance assurance, and make sure that your organization is, is kind of ready for change. Cabinet Office is going to be doing quite a lot of support in terms of guidance and products and working with sectors and contracting authorities to, to manage this out. But there is a role for everyone to play in understanding how this is going to impact their organization. The final thing I'll say on that is whilst we're very I think we're quite solid in our commercial networks I think there's a huge kind of procurement led professional approach to these changes a lot of the decision makers happen elsewhere and that's by nature why procurement is kind of seen as enabling function so the more that you can share with your senior stakeholders your budget holders councillors chief execs of local authorities you know anyone who who really sees procurement as being quite key to the delivery of their public services the opportunities are there so I've taken the opportunity at the moment whenever I'm involved in a conversation with someone who is you know quite senior outside of commercial I'll take the opportunity to say oh by the way did you know we're changing things and reform is coming so I want everyone in commercial to kind of do that as well so we can share our messages quite widely. I'm going to put you on the spot, Lindsay, uh, and get you to stare into the crystal ball because we're having this conversation May, June 2023. Just talk us through what happens next. What are these next steps? Uh, when is everything likely to be on the statute book and uh, and happening for real? Yes. So we're hoping, so we're coming to the end of the parliamentary process. We're hoping that everything will be finalised before summer recess. It gives us six weeks to kind of tick the, the box. Following that, we are working on secondary legislation. We're going to be doing a public consultation over the summer, so watch this space on that. We want everyone to to give feedback on what that secondary legislation looks like, and some of it is quite procedural, but there are some things like transparency notices in there which will be of interest to experts for sure. That will then get introduced later this year, um, and we've committed to giving a six-month implementation period, so we're probably looking at the later half of 2024. The challenge is is that obviously we've been at the behest of Parliament, so as much as we would like to plan uh, and sort of give everyone a date, the, the key dates around this and sort of cementing the primary legislation and having time to introduce the secondary legislation is sort of out of our control slightly. So later half of 2024 until we confirm. My thanks to Lindsay Maguire from the Cabinet Office. You can find much more information about the public procurement regulations on our website and there are links in the podcast description. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.